Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the People Processes Podcast. I'm your host, Rami Alijil, and I am excited today to welcome Jake Badsgard. He is uh, an amazing entrepreneur. After growing one of his first pay-per-click clients from 25 to 250 employees, Jake realized that he had a gift for using pay-per-click marketing to drive dramatic business results. To help more companies succeed online, Jake founded Disrupted, Disruptive Advertising, a PPC and CRO management agency that has helped hundreds of companies realize unprecedented growth and profitability from online advertising. Of course, as an HR channel, though, we're more interested in that the, in the last six years since its founding, Disruptive Advertising has grown from two employees working in Jake's basement to a flourishing agency with more than 160 employees and a run rate of over 20 million. Puts it at number 145 on the 2017 Inc. 500 list and is listed as one of USA's today's best places to work in Salt Lake City in 2019. So we're ecstatic to have you here, Jake. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Rami. Well, Jake, uh, a lot of kids don't necessarily dress up um, as marketing guys and business owners when they're when they're eight years old. You got to tell me, how did you wind up uh, getting into this industry? You know, it's uh, you're right. I never did dress up as a as a marketing agency guy <laughs> growing up. Right. Well, and how many of our businesses were even around when we were kids? Right. Like exactly. this is a whole new world. I um, you know, I'm. It's interesting that you asked that question because there's probably a trillion things that happened that ultimately led to where I'm at today. And I look back from the first job I had when I was eight years old and the first business idea I tried to execute on at a young age. And and um, ultimately, I, I would probably almost pin it down to the moment that I experienced in my corporate career uh, before going down uh, this entrepreneurial path, which... Uh, or I kind of just had that that realization, that moment uh, in an annual performance review where I realized I will no longer uh, have the growth as a person, professional or financially, that I'm looking for from here. And it was my moment of either choosing to settle or choosing to move on and, and to create that environment for myself. And I would say that that was probably more of the of the of the real moment that that kind of catapulted me down the path that I'm on was realizing that I, I wasn't going to find the fulfillment I was looking for in life uh, if I didn't take that chance. And fortunately, uh, my wife was supportive in that decision. Yeah. Yeah. A good partner is everything, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you've been in business a while and of course you've grown to a, a very successful company with a great, um, great revenue and good employees. But a lot of our listeners are in an earlier phase of their company or uh, they're still thinking about maybe branching out of their own or they're part of a, a larger organization. I think a lot of them kind of get caught up in thinking about what the success looks like, but it's the failures along the way that teach us the most. So I always ask my guests to share with us their largest entrepreneurial mistake, failure, really, really, really bad day. And tell us that actual story, like what happened and how'd you feel and how did it come about? And then we'll talk a little bit about what our listeners could learn from it. Yeah. Well, you know, when you ask that question, I imagine myself holding a scroll with all of the failures that I've had as an entrepreneur and like opening that up, letting it drop to the floor and it just rolls it just out. Keeps right. It's the hardest thing of every <laughs> entrepreneur I ask is like, which one failure, like just one. Um, uh, yeah, it's hard. There's, it's a journey of ups and downs, but, but yeah, I want you to think of your worst one. Well, 
let's let's just go ahead and, and get personal on this one. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of this becomes more uh, in focus with a little bit uh, of hindsight in perspective. And uh, what I realized, uh, well, probably the biggest failure that I had, and, and I'll relate this to a specific experience that I went through, was uh, the illusion that finding success as an entrepreneur would fill my cup, uh, feeling self-value, build my esteem, mm-hmm. uh, giving me the, the success and fulfillment that I was looking for in life that would help me get to some level of easy street with lots of money and would solve all my problems. Yeah, conflating and, success with meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And so where I, where I saw that turn into a failure was in, in how that manifested in my relationship with my wife and with my kids as well, but primarily with my wife. And it wasn't until two to three years into the business where we were just out of sync. It just, uh, it was, it was just felt harder than it needed to be. And we found a good uh, marriage counselor that we were, that we were working with because of course, uh, Rami, this wasn't my problem. This was my wife's problem. Oh right? yeah. 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 I'll see a counselor if you <laughs> may. Yeah, all right. And you know, it was really interesting. Uh, I'll never forget that moment where uh, we were sitting down together and we'd had some productive sessions and read some good books together and we're making some progress, but, but I didn't have that epiphany moment until one day we were sitting there and he was asking something about the business and it was doing well and kind of asking some questions and saying, Oh, that's great. Like, what does your business partner think about that? <laughs> and and you I said, answered wrong. And I answered wrong. And I said, what do you mean? I don't have a business partner. And, and he said, oh, you don't. And he looked at my wife and he looked back at me and then he just continued on with the conversation. <sighs> and, yeah. and that was the moment where I've got to tell you, um, it just hit my, like, my, my heart, my mind, and my soul like a ton of bricks in realizing that I didn't see my wife as a partner, right? Like not only in the business, but in, in most aspects of life and that it actually wasn't, it had nothing to do with her. It had to do right. with the insecurities that I had and that I needed to overinflate the value that I was providing from the business success to justify being controlling or manipulative, manipulative or not being the type of partner that I needed to be. And using the business as a any sort of business success as a justification to feel better about that, and um, you know, no, no, no good story doesn't have some resolution uh, or outcomes on that. So that was probably, geez, I want to say three, three years ago, and uh, I remember driving home from that session and just saying, "Do you feel like I I see you as, and treat you like an equal?" and uh, and and having verbalized the answer that I already knew was true and uh, just really deciding that I needed to make some personal changes there. And, and what I will tell you, Rami, is uh, for our 13th anniversary, which was this year, uh, we, were, we were just having a weekend getaway. And on the drive up, uh, I asked her the same question. I said, how do you feel in our relationship? Do you feel like I see you and treat you like an equal? And, and to have that answer come back and say, yeah, I do. I do feel that way now. And this is by far the best year of our marriage so far. And, um, and not a little bit, but like, like a lot of it. Right. And so that's awesome. Uh, so that was, that's probably the one that I would point to in terms of uh, a failure that became very 
uh, prominent to me and mm. that, that has helped me to learn and grow as a person uh, and a professional. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I've um, done about 150 interviews and um, you know the stories that always touch us are the personal ones. They're the ones that really do matter. Um, the, uh, the, my biggest failure is that time I lost that one account and then I turned around and got it back is a story I get every now and again. And I'm like, uh, well, you haven't been in business long enough yet. Must be the, you know, <laughs> if that's the the big hit, but man, I appreciate you sharing that for, for guys and gals who are out there starting up, what would you think maybe they could learn from your story that they could, they could put in place earlier. So it's not as, uh, it's not later. It's not a big, um, it's able to be headed off, right? An ounce of prevention versus a pound of cure. Yeah. And I think, I think really what that comes down to is that, uh, whether as an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, uh, and in whatever relationships that we have, um, no one or no thing can fill our cups for us. Uh, we can only do that for ourselves. And, and the way that I've found, uh, more success in liking who I am and feeling that inner confidence independent of how my marriage or business or things are going is identifying those daily routines that help me to feel and be my best self, which are simple things like, you know, silence, visualizations, affirmations, exercise, reading, um, and doing religiously doing those things on a daily basis that allow me to be the, be the person I want to be each day. And to fill my own cup so that I don't show up and have unhealthy expectations in my relationship or from the business or really stretch to have things or people fill my cup for me, which is just they can't do. And it's right. actually pretty unhealthy to expect that. Um, and so I would say that if, if we can get our heads right there and, and place the focus and energy, that can really get us where we want to go and uh, not go down the, the path that I did, which was trying to solve it in a way that was never really going to fix it. Makes total sense. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. So now that you're, you've been through some of those harder times, your wife is happy with you again, your company's kicking butt. What's got you most excited in the next you know, six months or so? What's got your, what are you doing in your company or personally that's got you getting out of bed and super excited? Well, let's see. Let's do one of each. Okay. Person, personally, I am, I am training to run a, a Boston qualifying time for a marathon. Nice. And so that that gets me up early, <laughs> and uh, so that's going well. Uh, as a family, we're actually having our fourth child and our first boy. Uh, oh, congratulations! In, in a, when uh, in November? So that's coming up sooner sooner than uh, than I think we realized. And and then as far as the business is concerned, I am uh, just so passionate about some of the programs that we have put together to focus on helping uh, ourselves, myself included, and, and people in the company with optional programs to help people develop some of these same skills that we just talked about. And so I've actually put together courses around personal and leadership and financial development uh, to teach the skills and to create the accountability systems for people to and, and myself to just be great in those areas. And I have just found so much passion in, in doing that as a company and we've actually had uh, about 65 already go through the first course um, of personal and leadership development. And they have to graduate from that one to then go through the financial development course. And it's just so exciting to feel like, hey, we're here to win at life and business together. 
And so that's what I'm the most excited about right now. I saw on your bio, of course, you've grown this company hugely. Uh, and it seems like a lot of that has been from these, uh, perhaps a more personal focus on your employees in that manner by um, investing or training in the personal development or leadership development, as you called it, of your employees. Um, what does that actually look like for your employees? What are they What are they participating in that you feel like? And what's the, from a purely pragmatic standpoint, what's the benefit to the company itself for doing that? Yeah, so it's a it's a ten week course, and it actually uh, has a five hundred dollar enrollment cost. So it costs money, optional. It's early at seven a.m. on Monday mornings. Interesting. And um, if they graduate the class, they get their five hundred dollars back as well as a five hundred dollar bonus. If they fail to meet the very strict requirements of the class, they have the opportunity to lose their bonus opportunity and their investment. So. One big mistake can cost someone a thousand bucks. So there's just some really strong accountability and skin in the game. Interesting. Have you had anybody and, fail? Yes. Oh, oh man. All right. <laughs> Keep rocking. Yeah. Okay. Not not many. Not many. Um, but uh, certainly some people have lost uh, their their money or their bonus, and uh, unfortunately, a situation or two where people have uh, not been able to make it through the course. But very like one or two out of six yeah. or something at this point. Yeah. Well, good. And uh, the first portion of the class is, is purely based on uh, the book called The Miracle Morning and just developing those good daily habits. Absolutely. Kind of when to, you said, when you earlier said it's those daily, you know, I could hear you saying savers. I was like, I feel yeah. like he's saying lifesavers. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, everyone agrees to start doing that. Uh, we also agree to how we can use our phones for the 10 week period, which is for nothing other than GPS, text, and phone calls. Mm. And, uh, and then everyone has to show their screen time every week to prove how they did, uh, demonstrate with their journal and the readings and quizzes and completing the assignments. Uh, the next portion of the class is change the world by changing yourself, not trying to change other people. And we read the book Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute and work and practice on those principles. And everyone gets to choose someone in their life uh, to to work on that with. And then the third section of the course is developing a, a life map uh, and getting a better understanding of where they're at and where they'd like to go to with an action plan of creating what's more commonly referred to as a vision board, but I refer to it as a painted picture mm -hmm. and uh, creating, Hey, this is how I see myself three years from now. And here's what is a part of my present or past that would hold me back from being that person and then getting after it. Right. And so that's, that's how the course works. And then there's a follow-on accountability group for people that want that ongoing accountability where about a third to a half the people continue to participate in that just ongoing forever after that. So how do you, do you get any pushback from employees who are saying, look, this is my business. I don't, I mean, I guess you're not requiring enrollment in this. You're, you're yeah, actually it's totally offering. optional. Yep. Do, do you feel like there are people who maybe don't participate in that who would feel somewhat negative or resentful of it? Or have you not really seen that? I'm just asking. We got a bunch of well, people yeah. on here. I'm, 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 I'm ponderizing that. I, I haven't gotten that feedback specifically. I know, uh, I mean, clearly there's a lot of people that haven't taken it. That's a good question. I, I don't even have the answer to that and I should probably look into it. Yeah. Like we, uh, we over here, we're, we're often involved in wellness programs, whether that means mental 
you know, counseling kind of wellness program, similar to what you're talking about, life skills and development, or even physical, you know, let's get you guys, you know, to stop smoking, or can we help you? Can we, can we give you, can we pay for six months of uh, Weight Watchers or something? And, you know, and there are many people who uh, take advantage of those and probably half are people who are already fit or already mentally exploring those ideas. And half of the people who take advantage are really excited about the opportunity. Some fail, some make it through and it, and it does move the needle. But then there's a, some portion of most populations who probably need it most, but choose not to participate and find it to be a, a relatively, um, they feel somewhat cut out of something like, right. Right. right like a, even as simple as a wellness program, you don't have to participate. If you do, we'll give you Amazon gift cards, something like that. And then they say, well, I'm a, I'm a working mother. I've got no time to do any workouts. I'm never going to go for a walk. This is ridiculous. Something, you know, there's always an excuse, but there's, there's some pushback to it. You haven't seen that in your company. Uh, with these programs specifically, uh, I, I did get a little bit of pushback because we have a, a financial course that at the end of it, they put together a six-month budget. And if they stick to it, we actually contribute an amount Ooh. to their goal. And um, But you have to graduate from the class first. And so I actually did get some pushback from saying, how can I have to take this class first um, to do that? And I said, well, because I don't trust people that don't have good daily habits to follow through with the budget. So I want to make sure that we're building you know, step on step. And so I got some pushback there. Um, but with context, it, it felt like it oh, subsided yeah. relatively quickly. That's very and, minor. And so it's, you know, I'll have to look into that a little bit. We, one of our core values here is extreme ownership. And so, right. Um, if you're, if you're recruiting the right from the beginning, if that's the, the view from the beginning, then you won't have that issue. Um, very interesting. I'm, I'm, <clears throat> it's a very, um, I mean, I don't want to use the word paternalistic because it has a negative connotation, but it's a true involvement in your employees' lives that I think a lot of it happens in five man, 10 man, 20 man companies. Very few hundred man companies really have that level of development and involvement in their employees' lives. It's very interesting. So, so what sort of results have you seen? Has this been a, um, I mean, how's it gone <laughs> for the 65 people who've gone through there? Yeah, you and know, for the it's interesting. I I think that it's pretty clear that when people develop these these types of uh, traits and uh, habits in their life, that it spills very quickly into business success as well. Yeah, uh, as you might imagine, the people that have gone through and graduated from the course and now doing the financial courses, and you know, I look in the room and I'm like, these are all my performers in the company, oh, yeah. and uh, so it's 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 pretty natural to see that occurring. Here's the thing, I. I do it because I love the people I work with and I care about them, but I'm also selfish and I do it for myself because I am not, I am not the teacher that has it all figured out. I am the facilitator and a participant of those classes. And so everything that we review, I am doing myself. I am uh, being accountable to the class um, because I want that accountability in my life and I want those things as well. And so I do it as much for myself as I do for anyone else. Um, and I'm okay with that. And I think yeah. that, that also helps it to feel a little bit more authentic because, uh, I'm not there to teach something that I've figured out. I want, Hey, I've got some experiences I'm going to share and let's figure this out together. Very interesting. I want to transition a little bit. A lot of our listeners and, and many of my clients, even in the HR space are in a position where they've grown a operations or service team, a delivery team. 
but they're still stuck in the owner as the salesperson. And I know that you have had uh, success in transitioning from that model. And I'm wondering what sort of insights you can give us on how to make it actually transitioning from that founder or owner based sales team uh, or to having a sales team. Yeah. Uh, high level response and then we'll get into the specifics. Yeah. Uh, it is way harder than I wish it was. Right. Um, and way worth it. And, uh, specifically the way that I initially approached it did not work very well, which was, uh, had nothing to do with the people that I worked with. It had to do with my approach, which was, Hey, I'm going to hire some experienced people and assume that they can just completely take sales off my plate. Um, Tried that, failed multiple times. Of course, mm-hmm. I wasn't the problem, right? It was clearly was it was their problem. Hiring the wrong guys, bad luck. Yeah, yeah clearly. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, I'm an idiot, and I did not set these people up for success. And done. Um, I've, I've I've told I have an employee who uh, worked for me about six years ago. Worked for me for two years. Uh, she's great. We're great friends still. Um, but she moved on to another job, and at the time, that was. That was devastating. And I just and I remember telling her like six months ago, like, man, I'm glad you came to work for me. But gosh, that was just I, you got to admit at times, look, we we made some mistakes here. <laughs> really yep. didn't give you a roadmap to run on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But yeah. So simplistically, what, what I ended up doing that uh, has, has paid big dividends down the road is um, I hired uh, someone that was more moldable. Uh, still good at sales, but a little younger in their career Mm -hmm. and just said, Hey, I don't know exactly how I'm going to help you be successful. So how about I just close deals for you and you like participate and I'll even pay you the commission on them. And like, let's just tag team this for a while. And then as you know, then let's start to wean off that and allow you to become more independent and do that for yourself. So we, I invested in more like a 12 to 18 month process in developing two individuals one of it, one of which has ended up becoming my head of sales and building a, a fifteen-person team that's now regularly, you know, hitting their hitting and exceeding their quotas and those types of things. And it was really just taking the time to say, "Let's do this together." I'm not going to just toss this over the fence and hope you figure it out. This is really important that you understand my vision, how I sell, what works, what doesn't work, what what are the right types of accounts, the wrong ones, the things that I'm thinking about when I go through this process. And I am invested in seeing that this seeing this through, and that was quite the process. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of paying money for not getting a lot of output for for a while. Oh yeah. Uh, what happens if you put in all that time and energy and it didn't work out with those people? And so it was, it, but it paid off, and and ultimately allowed us both to grow and progress beyond that. And so now I'm very rarely involved in the sales process. You know, occasionally on a very large or strategic mm-hmm. deal. Um, but that's just kind of because I want to, not because they need me to. Right. And right. Uh, and so it's been great to see that transition happen. Can I ask a couple questions just about how you've structured some of that? Please. So did you bring on two people at once or did you just bring on one guy and then another guy later? Two. Um, and when you brought them on, you mentioned they basically got the commission. Did you pay them salaries and a commission or was it when I close yes. deals, you get paid? You did both. Did both. So you're putting a lot of money in. You're putting in a salary. And then on top of that, when you close deals with them listening, especially their first few, it's just like, here's the commission. Yep. For your sales team, have you ever considered or do you currently do any sort of like transition to full commission or is it always salary and commission? 
Uh, we do not do a full commission. Um, oftentimes when we uh, have new people join the sales team, we do have a ramp down to a low. Mm. So they start with just a higher base and then ramp down to a lower base as their commissions should catch up in their ramp up time period. And, um, but we do, you know, for per industry averages, we do have a, a lower base and higher upside in commissions. So we, we skew a little bit more that way, but I do like to keep a base involved there as well. I think that's very reasonable. It's, we have that, we get that question a lot from, from people when consulting us about compensation and, um, the pure commission move is very, 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 um, let's just say difficult. It's a, yeah, not, not I, I don't recommend that. So, all right. So you brought on two guys and then you didn't, you didn't necessarily have a formalized sales training program. You basically yeah, had, them, yeah, you yeah. had them shadow you and, and, uh, go on you with meetings and, uh, close with you. And then I'm, I'm assuming just on easier accounts, you slowly move to where they're taking the lead. Yep. Yep. Just went through that natural progression. And then do you, as you did that, were you developing sales training materials? Did you guys, are you, are you now doing, are you still following that kind of shadow or mentorship of you of bringing people on or is it much more structured and classroom style now? Uh, both. So mm-hmm. I definitely built some of that out along the way in terms of, you know, with a lead, how we reach out, you know, how frequency of touch, depth of touch and, how we're going through each of these stages. And we used a sales methodology that was by a local group here. Um, and so definitely decent process that has gotten better over time and a lot of shadowing um, yeah. as well to get up to speed. So kind of use a hybrid. Yeah, very cool. When you um, were developing this and having them shadow you, I mean, as the CEO, you're not able to sell 40 hours a week, unfortunately, right? Unfortunately. As the, as the founder, right? Yeah. So in the beginning, I'm, I'm assuming in their first few weeks, they probably had many hours where you were trying to find things for them to do. Did you grunt into that? Or were they always pretty slammed? <laughs> Some, sometimes, but that usually wasn't the issue. I mean, uh, because, because we're actually good at like what we do for our clients. We do it for That's ourselves right. and, and leads have not ever really been the issue. Uh, of course. So you're a, you're an organization that of course is splitting the sales and marketing role. You have marketers that are working internally. It's really at the lead generation stage that these or at the lead, uh, uh, discovery phase of that, that qualification phase that you're bringing in your sales team. Correct. Awesome. Um, and as far as the marketing to generate those leads, that's all, that's very much in your wheelhouse. That's, that's what you do. So yeah, well. you know, that's, that's, that's our jam. We actually have about a, over a thousand businesses a month that reach out to us now. Um, that's a lot so, of leads. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think that's, that's, uh, awesome kind of roadmap for a, a company who wants to get into it to, to check out. What would you recommend? Do you have any resources you might recommend them check out if they're trying to make that transition themselves? Um, on the sell side or the marketing side? On the both? sales side. On the marketing side, I'm sure we're going to get to where your website is in just a minute. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, that's funny. I have not read a lot of sales books. Okay. Um, you can't, all right. I was just curious if you had, had, had you were, you had, Great, you had great book recommendations on life coaching. Wasn't sure if you'd uh, done the sales book side of it yet. <laughs> not so much, not so much. Awesome. Well, in your company, then um, you you obviously have many different processes from sales to your actual operations in terms of generating marketing for your clients, internal HR procedures. 
If you could identify one that maybe has changed in the last 12 months that you've seen have an outsized impact, what do you think would be a, a process that you guys have implemented that that's really kind of moved the needle for you? Yeah, so what we've been, our strategic initiatives this year were really to improve the employee and client onboarding experience to make sure mm. that it was just fantastic. And and we kind of took that one 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 level further. Um, obviously, we don't bat a thousand. Uh, not everyone that works here is going to work here for life. Sure. And not every client that we work with, we're going to work with for life. And and as we kind of started to to better understand what what was the vital behavior that was ultimately contributing to uh, employees or clients not working out, it kind of came down to if if we don't if if they don't see a clear path of growth then they move on. And so one, uh, some simple things that we've put in place is just a, as a, is a 90 day onboarding program that we make sure is hundred percent followed through on to create that experience and set uh, clients and employees up for success. And then a monthly buy-off that is not self-reported numbers that actually states every employee states, did I, did I receive a one-on-one this month with my mm. manager to review my metric performance, my alignment with core values, and progress towards the goals that I'm working on. So did I receive this this month? And then they answer a few questions about that ex- their experience with their manager. So that way we know if they're getting done and if they're being done, you know, and how effective those are being. And which helps perpetuate and make sure that that environment of growth continues to happen for every employee here. And then the second, we do the same thing with our clients as we say, hey, we've got to have a, we've got to have a check-in once a month that says, Here's how things went the last month, and here's our strategy for this month. Do you feel good about this strategy? This is what we recommend we do. And actually getting a client bought off on number, what percentage of our clients say, I feel great about the strategy and execution that we'll be doing for this month. Um, And that's what kind of forces the conversations to maintain alignment and growth. So move the... uh, to to maintain the adherence to the systems, you move the sign off to the end user, right? Correct. So kind of like in 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 like HR one on one, you have your employees sign off their time cards, right? You did work these hours. You're, we're not just making it up. You're saying that, but with your performance management systems, your client systems, make the end user say, "Yeah, that's what I want." And if there's a problem, then you identify it there. I think that's a excellent excellent uh, process. Yeah, rather than letting things fester. And that's usually what leads to a not only a failed relationship, but one that didn't need to end the way it ends, right? Like, hey, let's, right. if it's, it's not it's, the right fit, let's come there together. Right. It's not failure or is gonna happen. It's it's those ones that that you could have that could have been done right, right? It's just we just didn't know. Or same with an employee's needs. Like this employee could have been great. We we had something wrong here. We didn't quite see it line up. Uh this removes that worry, or at least mitigates it hugely by giving them the opportunity to speak up. Do you do your one-on-ones each month? Is that your kind of, is it a monthly one-on-one thing? Yeah, it's kind of like a quarterly deep dive, um, monthly check-in and action items for the month to work on with one's manager in each of those areas. And and then the side-by-side time comes to, okay, great. Here's what we're working on. Here's the progress we've made this month. Here's how we're going to work together this month. Um, as we get together to make progress in each of these areas. In your organization, how do you, what's your kind of manager to employee ratio, your team size, uh, scope of scope of, scope of team? Uh, some companies 
you know, say a manager should never have more than five direct reports. Some say 15. I'm just curious where you're at. Yeah. And it, you know, it depends on the role too. Depends on the role, the department. Uh, I would say if I were to just stick a number that I don't like to go beyond is, is six to eight max for a senior manager in the right situation. Um, and, and prefer to be more in the three to six range actually. Mm. And do you have, uh, so with, with three to six, with team sizes of three to six, you guys, um, do you have a pretty flat organization, lots of small teams, or do you have, um, kind of, uh, you know, super team lead manager, assistant manager, manager kind of stacks, how vertical would you say your organization is? You know, it's been relatively flat to date. We do have a lot of small teams, um, but it does now roll up through, you know, team leads, Regionals, directors, yeah. and then VPs. Um, and so, you know, some of that more traditional hierarchy has introduced itself over time. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it gets a bad rap in, in today's, um, I don't know, Google, Google-centric world um, to have a hierarchy. Uh, but it gives people places to grow to, too. It's a very, it's a very... It's an intuitive way of organizing the, the company. I, and we, we recently did an interview where someone was um, working on, it's a very interesting company. It's actually a game design company. And they wound up, they have around 35 to seven man teams per manager. <laughs> so oh, wow. it's like each, there are 30 teams with a, with a, with a manager of five to seven people. And then this one guy has 30 teams reporting to him. And it's very, very flat. It's, you know, uh, and they, they wind up in competition. It's a very interesting thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for feedback and, and interesting ideas as we just talk with more of our experts on the podcast. So I appreciate you giving me that. Great. Well, Jake, you of course work in the PP, uh, pay-per-click uh, world in this uh, world of online marketing. If our listeners have uh, been hearing you talk and they go, "Man, this sounds like a great organization to work with. I'd like to learn more," what should be the thing that triggers in their mind that says, "You know, I should reach out to Jake and his team um, to see if we can work together"? What, what's a what's a, a scenario therein that maybe would be a good uh, reason to reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, it, working, we're, we're struggling to figure out how to get it to grow or be a little more profitable, but it's a viable model. And we lack the bandwidth or expertise in a digital marketing perspective hmm. to accomplish that. And so that, that's where people reach out to us. Like I said, we have a lot of companies reach out to us and we actually tell like 80% of them that we are not the right fit for their stage, for their industry, for what they're trying to accomplish or that they just don't have realistic expectations. Right. And I have $300 say, a, a quarter to spend. Yeah. Uh, can you set up a PPC? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're still glad to have those conversations because we can point people in the right direction. Uh, we have a blog where we publish, we have no secrets. Um, uh, feel free to follow that on disruptiveadvertising.com. We share that we spill the beans on everything that we do and companies that are in that stage of, Hey, we either lack the bandwidth or expertise to effectively advertise on Google, Facebook, and Instagram, that's where they hire us to do it for them or support them in that process. And, and that's why companies reach out to us. That's where we help them. Uh, we've actually now got thousands of companies under our belt and done research that shows 76% of ad dollars spent on Google, Facebook, and Instagram are wasted because they lack the bandwidth or expertise to do it right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's where we step in, help get a better bang for the buck and improve, improve output and growth for the company. Yeah, I'm a very tech savvy guy. I've built a lot of the tools we use here at the company. Um, and 
all of my growth has come from pretty much traditional stuff. The podcast does well, the book does well, that kind of stuff. But that leads to just very basic, you know, connections and referrals and that kind of thing. Every time I've tried to truly explore the world of online, spend a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there. I don't think I've ever really gotten a, a true. I mean, I, I may pick up a client for you know seventeen thousand dollars in ad spend, and then give up and say I'm never touching social media again. So we post all <laughs> the time, and then like every once in a while, my I have a marketing person who really works on the on our referral channels and our partnership channels and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and every once in a while, she's like, "Hey, we should run a you know this is a great podcast. We should we should promote it for two hundred bucks. Sure, go for it." But we don't actually expect that to turn any, into any business. I think a lot of companies. Um, haven't quite figured out that online game. What would you say the smaller size, what would be kind of the, the intro level size that someone should come contact you at? Yeah. So, so that will depend on the industry. Um, in some industries we're paying a couple of dollars per click on an ad and others we're paying like a hundred dollars for a click on an ad. Sure. And so, uh, for some industries, you know, we're operating with, with, uh, between management fee and budget, you know, and like the $5,000 range is probably on the small end. Um, our average clients are usually spending between like ten to a hundred thousand dollars a month um, on those channels, and we just help them get a lot better performance out of them. Mm-hmm. And of course, we and, and of course we've always got a couple of dozen enterprise or uh, you know Fortune five hundred, Fortune one hundred type companies that we're working with as well. And so, but yeah, that's probably a good summary of of how we yeah. kind of fit in there. Well, Jake, man, I sure appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's it's outstanding to talk to a business owner like yourself growing up. Everybody check out disruptiveadvertising.com. Link in the description below. Uh, go on there. Take a look. Check out their blog if you're trying to start out on the uh, marketing side yourself internally. I'm sure there's a lot of great tips and tricks on there. If you're one of our larger listeners who has an ad budget and wants to talk to maybe get an audit, take, have someone else take a look and see if you can get more bang out of your spend, definitely reach out to Jake. Now, Jake, where can they find you? Uh, disruptiveadvertising.com and where else? Uh, that'd be the best place to reach out to us as a company. And I'd love to connect with you on social media at uh, Jake Badsgard on, on Twitter or throw in some A's and you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. <laughs> we'll put there. the link in below Badsgard. There's, yeah, there's some, I'm, I'm with you. It's a hard name. I'll put, I'll, we'll make sure there are links below to connect on there. Reach out to Jake if you guys have any questions. Well, Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show. I very much appreciate you coming out. Thanks. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. Hope you uh, enjoyed our interview with Jake Badsgard over at Disruptive Advertising. I think he gave some great insights. Uh, it's an interesting organization that he runs, one that's deeply involved in his employees' personal growth and development. And it, re- it really, it's unusual in a company of that size. Uh, of course, in the 10,000-man companies, there's always some personal development uh, focus, uh, though nothing is, I find the idea of, you know, having them do buy-in and then doubling their money. What a, what a, what an intriguing idea. If you guys have questions about this or want us to explore it further, maybe do a white paper or bring Jake back on or his HR people to talk in more depth, let us know. You can of course find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Poplar Financial. Check us out at peopleprocesses.com. Subscribe on there if you haven't already. You can access to some subscriber-only content. And of course, you can find us on whatever podcatcher of your choice, whether that's uh, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Uh, Subscribe on there for updates and upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Rami Alijil. And now it's time for you to go out there, have a great day, and get your work done.